Welcome to Stuck in the Cry Room. We all know the cry room too well at church, the place we don't want to go. But feel we have to because of our situation. As Catholic families, many parts of our life can feel like a virtual cry room. We're stuck and don't know how to get out. Host Joe Holt and John Cox will discuss these current challenges affecting today's families. And provide practical solutions so you are no longer stuck in the cry room. Welcome to Stuck in the Cry Room. My name is Joe Holt. And I am John Cox. We are delighted to be with you today. We have a, a good idea for a topic uh, for this episode. And John and I thought it'd be great to do a two-part episode on the domestic church. And a great way to just discuss in more detail the domestic church is to separate it into spiritual and corporal works of mercy. So this week's episode is going to be focused on the spiritual works of mercy. But Let's go ahead and begin with our prayer to start. All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for all your gifts, for your love, for your mercy, for your compassion. Uh, we ask that you continue to bless us, bless our families, give us strength um, and perseverance as we are continuing to go into the school year. Um, especially during these times that you give us the wisdom and knowledge to know how to direct our children, how to love them, and to know what's best for them. We also ask that we may grow as a family together in relationship with each other as we become models of Christ to each other in the family. And this we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, before we talk about the topic... Can I tell you that I'm a little bit nervous about um, the hiking trip in a couple of days? Are you going on that hiking? Yeah. Is this with, what's his name, Sean? Yeah, yeah. So with you're a, doing it. I'm doing it, yeah, with uh, Sean Garrison from Wind Sweat Missions and Father C.J. Mast. Oh, he is going. He's going up and he's bringing his sister, Sarah. Oh, that's sweet. So I'm really excited because I haven't met her before. Okay. Uh, but they decided that they are going to camp the night before. Are you camping? So, yeah. So he's picking me up in like the afternoon, the day before, and we're going to go up to the trailhead and we're going to camp. Now this, I've never camped at a site that is like, um, doesn't have bathrooms and things. So <laughs> <laughs> my biggest fear is that, um, is going to the bathroom. In, in those environments. So well, Joe, this, <laughs> if you listen to our last segment on potty, potty training, training, you would know exactly what to do. But, you know, I'm trying to kind of go through all the packing lists online and what they suggest for what to bring. And because mm -hmm. they were saying it's going to be 40 degrees. But when I looked up the weather, it said uh, 40, 35 for the low and 69 for the high. But I know that we're going to be hiking mostly, I think, between like Five in the morning, five, like before noon. Mm -hmm. So I guess it will be colder, but I wonder how much snow is up there on the trail. Well, you can see yeah. the snow in the mountains. When, Gosh, when, when it's clear outside, you can see the snow in the mountains. Well, but... it'll allow us to see Holy Cross really good because snow is oh, up yes. there, right? So sense. we'll have a great image, right. a great view of Holy Cross. Yeah. But uh, pray, Is Father CJ doing mass there? Up yeah. On the... Oh, that's right. Yeah, up at the the pilgrimage house on the top of Notch Mountain. Oh, that's wonderful. So I'm excited for it. But now I'm starting to think, what did I do? What did I agree to and sign myself up for? So I need to, I need to really pray for some strength in this. Because I don't. I don't. Uh, I want to make sure that 
I don't look like the weakest link on the hike. <laughs> I just, I don't want to bring everybody else so, down. So is that why you invited me? Because I'd be the weakest link? Yes, that was exact. No, that's not why. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so John and I are having a conversation about the domestic church. And one thing that we were talking about is it's, it can be very difficult to define the domestic church. And we came across uh, an excerpt from something from Pope John Paul II and just found it to be really beautiful. And we want to share that with you. Catholic parents must learn to form their family as a domestic church, a church in the home, as it were, where God is honored, his laws respected, prayer is a normal event, virtue is transmitted by word and example. And everyone shares the hopes, the problems, and sufferings of everyone else. So actually, I think it's a great examination of conscience for families. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I think if, if a family was struggling, like, are we following God? Are we growing closer together with God? Great idea. Is our family growing yeah. in a relationship with Jesus? I think those ideas would be a great uh, examination of conscience. You know, are we, is God in the center? Are we following his laws? Right. You know, are we being an example to each other? I think that's one of the things Mandy and I really started off with in, at the beginning of our family was to be an example. And so even when our kids called us on, so I remember times Josh was younger and he would correct me and I'd be like, you're right. I did do that. Or I was not being mm -hmm. a good example. Or I, I am doing this. So thank you for calling me on. And so it was an example of humility. Now, obviously, if it was objective, so if something that was not, was morally wrong or something wrong, yeah. If it was me making the rules and saying, <laughs> you're going to follow the rules, it's different. Mm -hmm. So he had to learn the difference between saying, yes, these are the rules, but dad, since he's the adult, <laughs> you know, is trying to follow him. But that was one of the rules we did try to make in our house very early on is that when we make rules in the house, the rules apply to everyone, not just the kids, right. but also to mom and dad. So uh, mom and dad would have to go to confession and mom and dad would have to be called on um, because the rules are above all of us, you know, and I think that's one of the things my children learned is that um, it's something we're all called to follow. It's not just mom and dad dictating to them. That's right. Rules. You know, because as parents, I think we have an obligation to model God's love in, in the home. Mm -hmm. And if we are just dictators to our children, right. what's the kind of message and image that we're casting to our children about our Heavenly Father? Right. Well, that's that's how I grew up. You know, my parents yeah. said, do this, do this, do this, this and this or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I said, why? It's because, well, I told you so. I told you so. <laughs> you know? And sometimes you got to do that. Sometimes you got to play the I told you so card. It's just the way things are. I think but, it's, for me, it's laziness. If yeah. I ever pull that card, I just want to go through the effort of yeah. explaining, and that's wrong. Right. I, I, I admit that's wrong, but I do fall into that sometimes. It just yeah. just don't ask me. Just do it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> but also, though, that it's not a bad thing because then it forces our children to trust in their parents. Or for me, it forced me to trust my parents and have faith in them. And, of course, that was able to transmit that to my relationship with Jesus. Sometimes there are some things about the Catholic Church I just did not understand. Mm. And so the response was, in this sense, the church saying, I told you to do that. Well, I don't know why. Well, uh, we're the church. We told you to do it. And, of course, I would try to be faithful to that to the best of my ability. And it was a good thing because then later on I began to understand the reasoning why. But sometimes that's we are called to be faithful and just trust that when... 
the church or my parents asked us to do something, even though we didn't understand, that we trust the church, that she does know what's best for us, that she is the bride of Christ. Or when Jesus asks us to do something that's very difficult or very hard, that we trust him. So it was very good in that sense, even though I did not understand the reason why, to trust and do what I was asked. So obedience was the key thing here. Um, and that's very interesting because Mandy was very different from her family, her domestic church, if you will. They always had to have a reason for everything. They always discussed everything. And so it's very much in our house trying to find that balance of sometimes you just got to trust mom and dad that we know better. Other times, yes, you know, you do deserve an explanation. So to me, it's where faith is born. And that's what the domestic church talks about, having that faith being born. And it starts within the family. First, it starts little children. They have faith in their parents. They don't understand their parents, but they have faith in the parents. The parents instruct them appropriately. And then as they become teenagers is when the explanation for things begin. Well, the same thing in the spiritual life in the church itself. Uh, we receive the sacraments. We receive instruction, but we don't fully understand what we're doing. We don't know why we're doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. But as we mature and grow, that's when we begin to understand. But that's only if we trust and we're faithful and do what we're asked and we're obedient in the beginning. Only then through the obedience part does it lead to understanding. If we're not willing to be obedient, we never come to the understanding. If my kids never obey me when I ask them to do something, then they're never going to understand why I ask them. And that's what causes a lot of tension and frustration, both within the home, that is the domestic church, and the universal church. People don't want to be obedient. They want an explanation first. And as a result of that, they get frustrated. And I think a lot of times they leave the church because they're not willing to trust. They're not willing to be obedient. The, the explanation only comes later in life as we grow. And that's the hard part. And people are mm. very impatient. They want the answers now when they're not ready for it. And that's another reminder to us where it's important to form those relationships with the elders in our community and in our families. They can help to instruct us and model mm -hmm. the ways and, and teach us things that we don't understand. Especially the older sibling. Mm. It's always hardest being the oldest <laughs> sibling. So Yeah. Well, on both sides, right? right? It's hard to be the younger sibling because they're like, why can't I just teach oh. people? I always have to follow what everyone what else says. <laughs> oh, no. The youngest is spoiled. I was the youngest. Oh. I was spoiled. Mandy was the youngest. She was spoiled. Were you the youngest? You're the no, I was child. the middle. Oh, so, so you were just... I was sandwiched confused. on both ends. Yeah. You were confused <laughs> and lost and forgotten. Forgotten. Middle. Definitely yes. forgotten. Yeah. yeah. But that's something that my youngest will tell me all the time. Why can't I just teach people? Why can't I take the leadership role sometimes? And, and we're trying to figure out little ways that she can show us something so she can learn those skill sets. But um, I think if my family growing up had even practiced half of these things in this examination, uh, it would have been a totally different life. Yeah. So what were some other things he mentioned? So prayer okay. being a normal event. Right. Know, we've talked about that a lot. Yeah, I think normal is a key word, consistent. I think mm. not when there's emergency, but saying we're going to pray something every day or some kind of engagement there. Right, right. So that one is, and virtue is transmitted by word and example. Yeah, mm. I'm really working on the example part. <laughs> we all are. <laughs> I don't think there's someone here who could say they're not working on that. That would be unfair to represent. Um, and everyone shares in the hopes and problems and sufferings of everyone else. And I think that is really beautiful. This shows, and, and definitely as we look at our community of our, of our church, our parish church, 
that we um, we're all members of one body and we have to lift each other up and to help each other out. And I love it when we have the prayers of the faithful during mass and we're able to actually take an opportunity to pray for those members of our community that might be suffering, that yeah. might be sick or have passed on. We could pray for their soul. Right. And it also tells us, well, we know their family that's in the community. Well, let's reach out to that family right. and let's offer that. Yeah, assistance. it's the body of Christ. So in first Corinthians chapter 12, you know, St. Paul talks about the body of Christ and his point is when one part suffers, everyone suffers. Right. Well, one part rejoices, everyone rejoices. And that's what should happen in the ha- house. Um, that's what's very interesting. I, I have a struggle with that when Manny has something joyous, I don't, I'm not joyful with her or vice versa um, because I'm, I'm a negative Nelly. Or no, whatever. you're, you're okay. <laughs> uh, that's, you're not being fair to yourself. <laughs> okay. I know that when Mandy got her, uh, you know, this, the new job that she has, oh, yes. I mean, you rejoiced in the home with that job. But see, that's, it's, I think it's more superficial things. I'm very, I'm it's when it comes to finances, I'm, very, I'm not materialistic in some ways, but when it comes to finances, I am materialistic, but no, but it's more like, um, you know, um, her getting her certification in ethics or, uh, her success at work, like these little successes, um, you know, those are the hard part, like celebrating those little things right. or when my children, when Abby finally gets geometry as I'm trying to teach her that, yeah. um, those little things was when we all should rejoice or suffering when one child suffers and struggles with their homework, the whole house falls apart. I think that's an ongoing <laughs> struggle for teenagers today, maybe all children, because you have kids at different ages right now. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can add some value to this comment. But I know for my kids, uh, they have a tendency to try to seek all of that support from outside of the home even though the home is where we are trying to provide that and to show that to them. But they, you know, will go to find friends to be able to support them and cheer them on and, mm-hmm. and to, to lift up their sufferings right. with them. And I, and then they get devastated and heartbroken when that doesn't happen. Right. Uh, and so I, I try to remind them, but look at, we're a family that loves you and we're here to support you and to, oh See, yeah. I know. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. But that's what, that's, what's so interesting about all this is um and i'm thinking this as when i was a teenager Mm. my parents said all those compliments and said all those things and i was like yeah but your mom and dad you have to say that (laughs) when you do it through your friends that they don't have to say it so it seems more sincere i think might be Mm. the word honest might be the word and um i think that's why we go out seeking those affirmations outside of the home which is not necessarily a bad thing because you want to get an objective perception of who you are. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's not usually objective anymore because of the culture and everything else. But that's another story for another day. That's why Mandy and I always joke is that, you know, our parents had to love us. At least, I mean, I mean, I yes, they had free will. But morally speaking, they had to love us. They, they created us. They have to love us. But the fact that when we, she and I met it was a choice for each other to love each other. Like we had to make that choice that made that love so much more special when mm. there's a choice involved. Um, well, and that's our free will with love. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But going back to being a teenager, it was kind of the same mentality. It's like, well, yeah, you have to love me. So that doesn't really count. So let me go over here and start dating and find a girlfriend or whatever, because 
they can choose it and that feels more special. And I think that's why people search for that in a lot of ways. I think there's also the element of we were designed by God to live in community and be a part of community. So it's very healthy, kind of going back to our last talk we had about friendships, mm -hmm. right? And everyone desires friendship. But I think we have to just remind ourselves on the value of the domestic church that is found in our own families. And I think it's a good, would you want to go through some of these spiritual works of mercy? Sure. Okay, yeah. so we are just going to go through the list of spiritual works of mercy and how we uh, have. What have we done? We're going to go through the spiritual <laughs> works of mercy, and we are going to just kind of talk about how each one of these things have, have been modeled in our homes and maybe have some funny stories. Actually, I have at least one I can share <laughs> with these. Okay, so number one, to instruct the ignorant. So the so wives <laughs> telling your husbands what to do. Is that what we mean by instruct the ignorant? Okay, so I, I think we can talk about teen driving. <laughs> I think this is a pot. This is, is immediately on my mind. I don't know. Is that corporal work or spiritual work? Well, it's probably both. I, I don't think know what corporal work would go under, but well, we're going to, we'll focus on a spiritual okay. right now. But and it's definitely that has to be a work of mercy. Oh, there, it has to be. I mean, like <laughs> the grace that I'm receiving just from the suffering of being in the car. <laughs> so bearing my, others' flaws. <laughs> yeah. What's, what is, what is the work of mercy? Bearing others patiently and bearing. Bear patiently those who wrong us. Or, or switch lanes or get in a car accident, <laughs> right? So I my youngest just got, her, just received her permit. And it's hard to believe that I have already provided instruction to my other two children and they have their driver's license. One is a better driver than the other for sure. One, I'm still afraid to get in the car. And I feel bad to say that because they have a license and permission to drive. But they're actually in college right now, so they don't have a car. <laughs> But my youngest, she um, she also has ADHD. And so I think that makes additional challenges. And I recently found out that the best thing for me to do is to take her out driving at night when there's no cars on the road. Yeah. Because now she's got all of the lanes. She's got the traffic lights, stop yeah, actually, sign. Actually, early in the morning. So early Saturday morning or Sunday morning. That's a great idea. That's like the best time to go. So I took Josh a couple times. Okay. When it was early. That's a great idea. Yeah. I've just learned that the middle of the day, anytime between the hours mm -hmm. of like 9 a.m. up to 8 p.m. is not a good idea. <laughs> how, about, how about 2 o'clock in the morning? And, Would that work? Uh, you know what? That could possibly work, too. <laughs> it's, you know, she, she just has a hard time staying in the center of the lane, you know, and listening to multiple instructions at the same time. So we almost blew through a red light last night. <sighs> Um, so I, I, I took the steering wheel, moved us out of the right lane quickly. And then she was just trying to speed through to a red light. And I'm like, stop red light. <laughs> Don't go. I was so traumatized. I got home and I was pacing in the bedroom, just yeah. trying to talk to Marty. Like, I can't believe what just happened. I feel like my life passed before me. Yeah. Oh, so gosh. instruct the ignorant. How? <laughs> I don't think that's what it actually means. I think it means by in the faith is what it means. Yes. But, you know, I had a great conversation with her, honestly. I had her pull over on the side of the road, and we had a conversation about this. After you were breathing into a bag? Uh, your bag? Yeah, my imaginary bag. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and we talked a little bit about instruction and my role as a mother and, 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 you know, what God is entrusting me with. And I need her to be able to trust me and to understand what I'm trying to provide her right. so that she can learn and, and, and be a good driver. So, we, you know, we kind of went into a little bit more conversation on that. To counsel the doubtful. 
Yeah. Oh, especially with teenagers. Every, I mean, they, it's interesting because either it's always zero, zero hundred. I mean, it's, it, let me say it this way. It's either all or nothing. Yeah. It's either I doubt and have absolute skepticism or I'm absolutely positive about this. <laughs> it's all or nothing. Like Josh is either convicted about whatever it is mm. or he's totally doubtful. And I think all, or Abby is the more doubtful one. Um, I think providing them just the encouragement. I think just even providing them the encouragement within faith and how they can seek God's guidance for challenges that they're having in their life. And, you know, when they are really struggling. Um, so just to be able to pull in and went through this with my middle child as she was on here a couple of weeks ago, talking about her struggles with anxiety and depression and, you know, how kids can, you know, feel really low and feel like they need a little bit more encouragement. But many times they seek that encouragement and that guidance from external places, other places that are not even connected to Jesus Christ. And so as parents, how we have the opportunity to be able to weave that in and introduce them to, to Jesus who can guide them. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And, um, especially, yeah, like you're saying about their faith, um, there have so many questions about their faith and wanting to learn more about their faith. And, um, that's, that's a good thing. This is why as parents, we need to learn our faith ourselves so we can teach mm. it to them because we can't hand on what we don't have ourselves. And I think one of the issues we face in catechesis is that once I'm saying this generally speaking, so this doesn't apply to everyone, but you know, once we get confirmed in high school, which most of us have been, that's it. That's as far as that catechesis has gone. And then we're called to explain it to someone else. I mean, that's when, the, when we again going back to the uh, idea of the domestic church. I think you said this earlier at some point, probably off off the mic, that we have the church here and we go and do mission. Right. Um, and that's that's one of the things we're called to do. So if our children learn the faith at home, they're going to go out and start teaching this stuff at the school. Like I, you know, again, my son Josh does that. All, well, used to before he was homeschooled. You know, he learned about pro life and everything at home, and then he'd go out and argue with the teachers and um which was great i mean and the teachers would actually pursue him try to argue yeah. with him so that's that's what happens but the reason why he was able to do that is because mom and dad particularly mom because she was heavily involved in the pro-life movement was able to teach him at a mm -hmm. young age mm -hmm. uh, age appropriate but she never held anything back and i think that's one of the issues i think most families struggle with when it comes to teaching their children or instructing the ignorant or counseling the doubtful is that it's not natural to them mm. and it has to be natural. And when I say it has to be natural, I don't mean overnight. It's not natural to me, but at least being open in such a way to do it over and over again and practice, even if it goes bad, practice it, practice it, practice it, and don't make a big deal out of it. And what I mean by that is, is, yeah, we're going to have this conversation about whatever it is, even if it's something with sexuality, drugs, alcohol, um, all sorts of weird stuff, whatever's out there nowadays. And just say, okay, well, we have conversations about math, science, English. We're going to have a conversation about this. We're going to have a conversation about our relationship with Christ. And it's not a big deal. Um, it is, it is a big deal because you want to grow in holiness, but it's a conversation like you'd have a conversation with, with anything else and you try to work your way through it. Right. Um, I really like what you said 
about the value of normalizing religious education because we, for some reason, somewhere along the way, we got the understanding that catechesis and religious education is only for sacramental prep. And then after you receive the sacraments, then you're done and you don't have to go to catechesis and you don't have to learn any more about your faith. But even if you looked at it from the smallest uh, point of mass and, and your weekly attendance at mass on Sunday and what you are receiving in instruction, how you're learning about your faith, we are given the call for mission to be sent forth from that church as we leave. Our church, our right. parish, I mean, that's the signs when we're leaving the parking lot, go forth and make disciples. Right. We are being sent out on mission to take what we learned from mass and in our faith to take that out into the world. Yeah. And that is the reminder that we're doing in the domestic church in our home to our kids. And so the question is, why aren't people not doing that? And the reason I think, and of course we can have a discussion about that all day, is because we're not convicted by it. Mm. You see, again, domestic church being kind of a microcosm of the bigger church. Right. If we tell our children about the faith and teach our children about the faith at home, but we're not convicted about it or we, or we really don't believe it or we don't practice it, but we just kind of do it as, as something on the side, then it looks fake to our children. And so of course then I can go out and evangelize. Right. We'll take that idea and put it on a more universal scale. Uh, when people go to church, if they don't believe it, if they're not convicted by what's happening, if they don't understand what's happening, then they're not going to go out because they see it as something fake. It's not part of who they are. Right. Or it's just something on the side, uh, a side dish. Admonish the sinners. Yes. My wife does that to me all the time. <laughs> I do that to her all the time. Yeah. I'm, I'm constantly admonishing my wife. She's, you know. You know, it's holding yeah. each other accountable. <laughs> yeah. Right? As a family... We have the opportunity to, to do that. And I know I've been really trying to encourage my kids to do that for each other, um, you know, as they see them making some bad decisions, because we can freely choose any decision that we'd like. But sometimes our desires and our temptations get in the way of our own proper discernment. Mm-hmm. And uh, we miss out on that. So for our family to be able to provide that helpful discernment and filter. Yeah is is a blessing yeah no and it was going back to what i was saying earlier like if i screw up my kids call me out they call me out and i have to mm-hmm. be humble enough to apologize and i've done that before um that's admonishing the sinner and that's a good thing to do and for us as parents now there's a difference between them telling me what to do or dictating <laughs> right. and maybe that's what i was trying to say earlier mm-hmm. but at the same time if we have a role in our house whether it's unspoken or not um you know, I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. And they say, dad, you're, you shouldn't be doing this. I'm like, all right, you're right. Thank you for letting me know. Yeah. The next two are really connected to your example that you provided Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to bear patiently those who wrong us and to forgive offenses. Yeah. And I think that when we allow our children to uh, identify a mistake that we've made or when, you know, we have wronged them, Mm -hmm. we're able to model forgiveness. That's true. And the, and the good news is that when we correct them, they're more open to it. It's not just a one-way one, one street. And we don't look like hypocrites either. Right. I would challenge anyone who's listening, if you feel that your child really struggles with forgiveness, mm-hmm. asking for forgiveness, just do a quick reflection. Are you modeling that in the home? Yeah. I, because yeah. they have to learn that from someone. 
Right. And if no one around them is modeling that, it's difficult for them to be able to put that into practice right. in their life, right? right? To comfort the afflicted. Oh, yeah, all the time. And teen girls. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. The drama in the house. Actually, no, it comes for all their kids. Actually, actually, no, I'm sorry. Comfort the afflicted. That's mom and dad who's afflicted. Let's just be honest. <laughs> and guess what? My kids who are awesome okay still give me hugs at night i love that and yeah and they always still give me hugs even though they're much older and most kids at this age are done with that they still do that like that's part and it actually brings me so much comfort so my children are wonderful of of comforting my afflictions of doing the dishes and everything yeah. else and doing for them. I, <laughs> so I, it goes I, both ways. I think it's great when a family is so connected that they can identify when one member of that family is not doing that well. Yeah. Has really been, you know, emotionally, mentally yeah. drained that day. And where we can take the time to stop and to listen to them, to give them an opportunity to voice what is going on for us to be able to offer to assistance and help mm -hmm. them out. And even just to pray for them. Yeah. I mean, there's been times that my children have come up to me and said they've had a hard day or this is what happened. And, and they said, can you please pray for me? And so we'll stop and we'll pray together. I'm good. That's beautiful. That's a great way to invite Christ into those mm -hmm. wounds. Uh, the last one is to pray for the living and the dead. So I, do you know the, um, was it Coco, the Disney movie? Yes, I've seen, yes. I, what I really love about that movie is a reminder to all of us about remembering and praying for our family. Yeah, no, I actually, I really enjoyed the movie as well. I mean, theologically, yeah. it's not, no, no. obviously, <laughs> but I love the tradition there. And I think it was, it's very beautiful that they have that. Um, and yeah, praying for the dead. And I guess that's what it is with the movie Coco is that family is not bound by life or death. Yes. Like death doesn't destroy relationships. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the beautiful things I love about the Catholic church is that death doesn't stop these relationships. And I think that's something we need to remember, especially when we pray for the living and for the dead, particularly the dead who are the holy souls in purgatory mm. who are so forgotten right? and such an easy thing to do. We think we have to go out and do all these things to, do a work of mercy, but just praying for the souls in purgatory uh, has so much benefit. Right. And, you know, and even calling on the intercession of the saints to be able to help us through all those things. Yeah. There's thousands of saints, you know, to, to learn about their story, about their life, and to see what connections that you have with them or how they might more intentionally assist you with your intentions and your yeah. needs at that very moment. Yeah, so the domestic church mm -hmm. is goes beyond the limitations of this life. Yeah. And just like how in our church on mass, we have the prayers of the faithful and we are naming individuals in our community who are struggling, who are sick, uh, who have recently passed away. It's a great value for you as your family to be able to do that too. Mm -hmm. Take some time during your prayer time as a family to name all of those that you are aware of that, you know, who need those prayers. Absolutely. Right. Well, 
Thank you so much for joining us. I hope that uh, going through these spiritual works of mercy, there's something that's been able, uh, be, that allows you to connect more closely to it and to take that into your family. Maybe you see a window of opportunity of something that you can zone in on in the next week. Mm-hmm. But make sure to listen next week when we unpack the corporal works of mercy and how they relate to the domestic church. Amen. Amen. Have a great day. Amen.